Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to welcome Chris Falcone to the show. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. I say we because I've got my trusty co-host, Sean Day Person, with me. Hey, thanks for having me. Today, we are going to talk to Chris, who is a senior enterprise account executive at Own Backup. They are one of the market leaders in the third-party backup and recovery for Salesforce. As usual, we're not going to talk product. We're going to talk sales and sales strategy and sales approach. And I have been asking people for recommendations of folks to talk to. And I got Chris's name because he is absolutely crushing it at Own Backup. In fact, last quarter, he hit 679% of quota. And that's not the first quarter he's done that. He's He consistently is between like 200 and 600% of quota. So we're going to find out some of the the secrets of how he got there, but especially the folks that he learned from and, you know, walk away with some with some good tips. Before we do that, Chris, love to get to know you a little bit. I'm most curious, and Sean Day and I were talking before of like our favorite question to ask folks to warm up. And, and I'm most curious about what was the first thing you remember selling when you were a kid? Well, first and foremost, thank you so much, Jeremy and Shande, for including me. It's great meeting you guys, and and I really uh, am honored to be included on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been working since I'm 14 years old, um, from you know starting in high school all the way up until now, um, when it actually matters and paying the mortgage and all that stuff. But I can't even begin to tell you how many jobs I probably had since I was 14. I think from starting off working at a supermarket when you have to get your work card. I'm actually from outside the Philadelphia area. That's I think like a Pennsylvania requirement, but but, you know, working in, in restaurants as, you know, the food server, the busboy, all the way up to waiter. I worked at a bike store selling bikes, you know, for a time in high school, too. I was really into that. But I had a really good work ethic instilled into me early from my parents. And what's interesting about it is, you know, I, I was one of those people where, you know, I got my degree. I went to Hofstra University. I got my degree in marketing. I met my wife in college, uh, which was great. But didn't really know what I wanted to do after school. But there was one thing that, you know, always stuck, you know, in the back of my mind. My mother has been in SaaS sales um, in channels and alliances for over 25 years, I think 22 years with the same company. And then, you know, I just always knew I wanted to get into sales, if anything, but always stuck in the back of my mind that, you know, software is kind of, you know, where it's at. I mean, you know, growing up, I was really lucky. My parents used to take us to my mom's president's club trips and everything. I thought this is so cool. You know, it's like you're selling something cool, but you're also making good money. So it always stuck in the back of my head that I wanted to get into SaaS. And, you know, organically after school, I got into um, sports advertising sales. I was with the same firm for about five years. And then I had a um, great uh, manager that that really took a chance on me knowing that I'd never sold SaaS before and hired me for my first startup uh, with Own Backup being my third startup. So really started organically and um, really just kind of took those skills working in sales starting from high school all the way up into you know where I am now. So I know that the people who are listening can't see this, but I see that you have a lot of sports sports figures on your wall. And you mentioned that you had a start in sports advertisement sales. What was it like for you in choosing SaaS? Was SaaS something that you were interested in or was it somewhere you just saw the money was there? This is where the future is. And how did that differ from the reasons why you got into sports advertisement? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And and everything on my wall is I'm big into sports memorabilia. A lot of the stuff behind me is all like signed and framed and everything to my wife's dismay. 
Yeah, I don't know. It was I always knew I wanted to get into sales in college. And afterwards, I got into, um, you know, I worked for a small company for like a couple months. It was a drink company doing door to door sales in New York City. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So, you know, there was an ad, you know, on LinkedIn to work at a professional sports advertising firm that what they basically did is called professional sports publications. I was there for a little under five years. And what they do, and it's kind of interesting what they do is they have a license with every single team throughout all four major sports and college. So anytime you go to a game, whether it's a college game for any college across the country or all four major sports, every team there, when you buy a program and you open it up, it's going to say professional sports publication. And we put the advertising in every single one of those programs. We did that program and, you know, you could buy, you know, a couple thousand dollar ad in there. But, you know, I think my first big sale was in 2012 where we did the Super Bowl program. I got uh, United Healthcare to buy a full page ad and it was, I think, close to like $60,000. The funny thing about it was we called a list of alumni at these big schools. You know, it was like top alumni lists. And what's cool about it is they would buy the ads, but at the same time, they would get tickets too. These big time college programs like LSU football, Texas A&M football, University of Texas at Austin football, those tickets go for more than NFL games, if, if you can believe me. It's crazy. And we would get those tickets for the alumni and they would uh, they would buy advertising. So it was interesting. I, I, I hope everything's still going well with, you know, COVID happening and people not really going to games and hopefully still buying programs. But after a while, I was like, you know, this is this is a you know a great company, but I really don't know where the future's going here in terms of print advertising. So, you know, like I said, I, you know, always wanted to get into SaaS, watch my mom, you know, be successful and move from, you know, stay at the same company for, for 21 years. She was at SunGuard and, you know, now she's with a, with a European company, but I always knew I wanted to try to get into SaaS and um, I was able to find a SaaS company, small HR technology company growing in New York city and met the manager there who I still keep in touch with. And he took a flyer on me uh, knowing that I had success in selling other things and it was able to transfer over. It was a seamless transition. Transition and it was the first time I ever used Salesforce. When you moved from professional sports publications over to that kind of HR focused startup, what transferred over and what did you, what, where was the learning curve for you? It's funny, you know, we, it was a very small startup. They ended up actually getting acquired by a large HR tech company that I was able to sell at Ownpack up two years after when they came to us for the use case. I was like, I know, I know exactly what you guys are doing because you just acquired a company. I was, I was on the first sales team ever at, but um, yeah, the transition really wasn't that bad. It was more of a transition to moving to a, a true startup. It was your your typical startup where they brought in lunch every day, cool office, dogs in the office. You know, it was the first time ever being around engineers and developers and, you know, being around the CEO and, you know, having all the snacks in the office and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the only real difference was getting onto Salesforce in early 2015, never using it and, and just trying my hand at being able to work through it. It was my first time ever using a real CRM because at PSP, we had a CRM, but it was kind of homegrown. And it was, you know, my first time using Salesforce. And I think that was kind of wasn't really too too much of a transition. It was really just back to the basics and, and you know, fundamentals. It was, hey, I use these processes in uh, finding prospects and calling in on leads and, you know, sending collateral and setting meetings, doing advertising sales. And let's try to transfer that over to, you know, selling a com- completely different product. And at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing. You know, you're, you're learning a product inside and out, but, you know, it's two different verticals. So I, I'd call it seamless. There's always, you know, the, uh, you know, growing people in the beginning, but it definitely was pretty seamless. Do you think that your skills in going door to door helped to put you at an advantage among other salespeople in the same position? Yeah. You know, I was, I was young. I wasn't paying a mortgage and paying 30 bills like I do now each month and, you know, having a wife, but 
I, I chose to stay, you know, being from outside of Philadelphia, my parents basically said after school, hey, move home with us or stay up there. We'll pay your rent for like a month or two, but you got to figure it out. And I did. And, you know, having that in the back of my mind and, you know, knowing that like, hey, if this doesn't work out, then I might have to move home, you know, gave me the confidence and the um, push my ethic, my work ethic up to say, hey, like, if this doesn't work out. I don't really feel like moving home. So let's just let's make this work. And it was brutal. Uh, you've d- obviously decided to remain uh, an individual contributor, which when you're hitting quota levels that you hit is, <laughs> not, I think, a pretty easy decision. But if you were to to run a team, you mentioned that, you know, you have a process. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those must haves are in the process such that if you were running a team, these are the things you would insist on? Sure. So it, it's kind of cool how this started, you know, being part of the first sales team at Own Backup, there used to only be about five of us in the US and I think two people in Israel. And that was it back in 2017. And now there's, I think, <laughs> over 100 across the world between UK, Israel and uh, the US with everybody remote too. And it was only a few of us. And it was just us in one row at our first off at our first Own Backup office, just bouncing ideas off of each other and being able to ask each other questions and, you know, organically grow together to, you know, be able to learn the product, sell with conviction and, you know, be able to uh, hit our numbers. With that only being five of us, it was just, you know, me and four other individuals who have become great friends. And it's funny because every single one of them has moved on to management at this point. (laughs) All four of them, three of them are RVPs. And then one's an AVP and they're all great friends. You know, what's cool about that is watching them hire and run their own teams. It's funny now because I can't walk over to their desk and, you know, kind of BS all day with them. They're like, hey, the head's down, like working with their guys. But, you know, what we all kind of learned together was being able to bounce ideas off of each other and, you know, being able to stay organized and, and run your business. You know, I think the biggest part about doing well in a SaaS organization or just any organization where you're an individual contributor you know, overall is knowing your business, knowing the product inside and out, staying organized, staying on top of your opportunities and, you know, being able to move deals forward and not being scared to ask questions. Being a senior individual contributor within the company, I ask my colleagues questions all day. I don't care how junior someone is or how senior someone is, you're not going to do well unless you ask questions and be able to, you know, get those answers to move your deals forward. So, you know, I think the biggest thing about running a team, if I were to move into that direction, hopefully sometime in the future, if I, you know, move on from being individual contributors is, you know, hiring the right people, but make sure, making sure they stay organized, stay on top of their deals, coach them when needed and, you know, making sure they, that they know the product and know when to ask questions and when to ask for help. What do you mean by stay organized? Cause that, that can mean a lot of different things. Organization is huge for me. I'm old school. I know we're not on camera right now, but literally I I take notes like this all day. And I literally every day or, you know, whenever I get to a new piece of paper, I open up my own backup notebook and I write to do emails and contacts. So the things to do is I write down what I have to do for that day and what I need to remember. And as I do it, I slash it out emails that, you know, when I'm going through my opportunities to update them for next steps, I know what next step I need. And if there is a next step, I write that down to email that prospect to see, you know, when we need a next step. Like for instance, I'm working a deal right now where we're waiting on a legal turn. And that email I sent out this morning saying, Hey, when should we expect a legal turn? And I cross it out when I do it. And then I update the step in Salesforce. And then contacts is huge too, because you get emails all day as a salesperson or, or a manager. And Sometimes you get emails with new people on those emails. As soon as I get a new person on an email, I write down that contact and I put them immediately into Salesforce. I say this in the um, bootcamp session that I do every month for new hires, which I'm doing right after this. 
there's a huge part about being able to, to find those contacts and put them right into Salesforce, going back to the demo, and it goes back to staying organized. I always tell new hires that own backup in that session that, you know, when you run the demo, which I think is one of the biggest parts, you know, of our sales process at own backup, you might get someone on the demo, which could be a CIO, which are, is our overall decision maker that might join the demo, not say a word, drop off, and then you don't see them the rest of the sales process. And they're the person where he or she ultimately signs off on it. To see that person on the demo, you know, put that person into Salesforce and know that you remember that name and then you know to go back if leadership asks you a question like who signs off on this? Oh, yeah, they were on the demo. You know, it's it's a step that I always try to remember that's probably going to hurt you in the end if you don't remember it, you know. So it's something that I always just try to do. One of the things it sounds like you're doing is clearly multi-threading by capturing all of those contacts as you do demos and as you have other meetings, as people are included in email threads. What are some of the other things that you've learned as you've moved from going door to door all the way up to selling you know, fortune 10 types of companies? I think it's relationships, honestly. And, you know, if you told me back in 2010, when I started working that, you know, you are going to gain some relationships with not only customers at, you know, huge companies where they're very high up or on executive teams, or just, you know, people that you work with, and, you know, keeping those relationships, I would have told you, hey, you're crazy, you know, it's, it's relationship building, honestly, you know, Jeremy, you're, you're very familiar with with the company. You know, we are the second largest Salesforce partner right now behind DocuSign. Salesforce has been involved in all five of our investment rounds. I can't tell you the number of Salesforce people that have moved from Salesforce to own backup at this point, including leadership, support, engineering. And on top of that, we bring Salesforce into every single one of our deals. So, you know, even just the relationships that I've built with some of the strategic and global account managers at Salesforce, you know, for some of my largest customers, I talk with those global and strategic account managers every single day. For my largest customer, which happens to be the largest customer that we have currently at Own Backup, I have that global account manager from Salesforce on speed dial because they, you know, benefit, you know, from our deals too. And, you know, we try to bring them in for guidance. It's it's a win-win relationship. So, you know, being able to make those connections within Salesforce, but also connections within, you know, our customers, which is even, you know, bigger in some cases, is something that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to use, you know, for the rest of my career. When you're trying to sell one of those big fat deals um, that gets you to 600% of quota, how do you manage or how do you go about managing the internal relationships or partnerships as the sales quarterback? Sure. You know, you're bringing in the partners like Salesforce. I try to bring Salesforce in immediately because Salesforce will help us with, uh, you know, being able to, you know, find the right people we want within the account. And again, like I said, they're incentivized, you know, to help us as a, as a uh, app exchange partner in, you know, getting the deal because it, it retires quota for them as well, even even if it's just a little bit, but mapping out the account beforehand, especially with your account development representative or your BDR, SDR, it is huge. You know, you you want to sit down with your ADR like I do, you know, a couple times a week to map out specific accounts. But, you know, also that executive alignment, you know, Charles Johnston, our executive vice president of sales, one of his biggest things is preaching executive alignment, getting the executives, you know, involved within our deals very early on and kind of you know, forcing it in a nice way. That's who you want involved. I, I'd say for the largest deal I closed at own backup, you know, we were able to get that executive alignment early on and those executives being involved and having that alignment with them, they were able internally to 
push things along to get the budget secured and get get things done by the end of the year. And that was only because we'd had that alignment with them. I really think that alignment and you know the relationship building and mapping out of accounts, especially at the enterprise level, is something that's key to your success. It's going to help you sell with conviction, and it's really going to get the deal across the finish line. I think not having those three different things involved in your deal is going to re- result in a no sale, which we used to call it in professional sports publications. Salespeople always often have the risk of like spending too much time on inter- basically internal navel gazing, right? Is there such a thing as spending too much time account planning or account mapping? I think so. Yeah. As much as, you know, you don't want to think about it, there's a number on top of your head every quarter, no matter what sales organization you're at, whether it's SaaS sales or anything else. I chalk it up to working smarter, not harder, honestly. You know, at the end of the day, everybody works hard, but there's only so much time you you can spend account mapping at the end of the day, aside from old fashioned getting on the phone and calling your prospects and emailing and moving deals along. There's only so much time in the day that I think you can spend on that. I mean, I'm kind of old school in that sense where I'll spend maybe an hour or two on that a day. But at the the end of the day, you know, I treat every day like it's the end of the quarter. On a somewhat separate note, going back to something you said earlier about working with your BDR, you know, a lot of SDR BDR teams are only paid basically on the number of qualified ops that they generate. That can create a little bit of a problem, I think, in the in the enterprise world where there are other extremely high value added things that they might need to do. How do you actually work with your your BDR? At the enterprise level, don't back up your your ADR. Your, you work with an ADR, which is an account developer representative. I have an incredible ADR who, if he chooses to move in that route, will be an amazing account executive at some point in his career. He kind of reminds me of myself, where you know when he's given an account, he goes in and he's able to um, find the right people there, and he doesn't stop until he gets a meeting, which is which is amazing. And that's exactly what you want from your ADR, but it's also a working relationship. You know, you can't just sit there and wait for your ADR to get you meetings. You need to sit down a couple times a week, which I do and which all of my colleagues do with their ADRs. And, you know, it's a give get, you know, you want to get them the best accounts and, and make them successful as well. So being able to sit down and work through like a living document, which we do in a Google Drive, where you have all of your, I do a top 35 accounts instead of a top 20, you know, your top 35 accounts, you know, on one Google, Google Drive, specific names from those accounts, but also subs. I mean, the subsidiaries is a huge thing too. We're lucky to have a really good product, um, you know, tech stack and own backup where we have sales loft, which I love. We we also have, um, you know, Zoom info where it's, the, it's our source of truth. So, you know, if you put in a large customer or a large prospect, Zoom info is going to show you every sub. You want to make sure that you know your accounts inside and out and that all the subs are, um, are, are in your name too, you know, giving your, your ADR, the accounts they need, what subs, you know, might be low hanging fruit where, you know, subs sometimes are always, are only small accounts that'll get you in the door if you close them. And then you can go back to the enterprise account and say, Hey, so-and-so company works with us. They're a sub of you. We've already passed your security and legal. Can we start talking? I mean, I kind of look at it like that. Your ADR is successful when you're successful and vice versa. So I think it's, it's a working relationship. It's a give get and, I'm really lucky and my colleagues on my team are very lucky to have a great set of ADRs and an ADR manager that we have at Own Backup. I'm curious to learn more about how you do your account mapping, how you go about understanding and getting alignment 
with your ADR and with your execs on which accounts are the quality accounts, which ones are going to make that top 35, where the revenue is going to come from as you're planning out, okay, I'm going to hit my quota this quarter, which companies, which subs, which departments that's going to come from. You know, first and foremost, Own Backup is an incredible company. We have an incredible product, incredible market share. And, you know, at the end of the day, if a company is using Salesforce, that's all we need to know because, you know, we're we're, we're a third-party backup and recovery tool for Salesforce. And, you know, as long as we know they're using Salesforce, that's definitely a qualified company to go after, which we're very lucky to, to have. You know, I've sold nice-to-have products that aren't needs like Own Backup, where it's a lot tougher to find, you know, your ideal prospect or ideal company. It's funny because we're getting a lot bigger. So with getting bigger, you're always going to, you know, have the, you know, thought of possibly losing territory. So knowing that, you want to know your your entire patch inside and out. So I think a really big part of being successful in prospecting is knowing every single company that you have in your patch and making sure that they're assigned to you. I cover New York proper, so New York State and New York City, and um, I have a great friend on my team that now covers a little bit of New York, so that makes it even even more important to know what accounts are yours and what aren't because you always have you have consultants coming in sometimes that come in as inbound where they can't tell you the company they're working with. They just say a large New York client. Well, you want to know what client that is because it might be my colleagues and I might be spinning my wheels talking to you, you know, but that's a whole that's a whole different story, um, you know, at the end of the day. But it's really just knowing your accounts inside and out in your patch and being able to work through that living document in Google that you have or Google Drive that you have saved with your ADR where they can edit it and you can edit it. You have all of your you know, strategic accounts in that living doc. You have the subs, you have the key personas, you have the specific cadences that you're putting them into in sales loft, which I think is big too, where they're getting blasted. It's just staying organized like that. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, it's really only thing we need to know before going after a company is that they fall to enterprise 10,000 or you know 10,000 plus employees and that they use Salesforce. And aside from that, as long as they, they, uh, they, they fit that, you're able to go after them. So I think it's, it's that, but also knowing your accounts inside and out and knowing what's in your patch. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, you see a, an account that should be under your name. You go back to sales ops and say, this should be in my name. It's, it, it's knowing that it's knowing your, um, knowing your accounts inside and out and knowing what should be yours and what shouldn't. All right. Well, we're running close to being out of time, but I, I did have one final question, which is, um, you know, you mentioned that your mom has been in SaaS sales for over 20 years. And I, I frequently call my stepfather actually to ask him for work advice. I'm curious about a time you called your mom to ask her for sales and selling advice. Oh, I do all the time. I do all the time. And she doesn't want to hear it because she, she's, she's got it. She, she runs a team and she has a number on her head too. She's, so she's, she's always like, when, when you call me, just please don't talk about work. I don't want to talk about work because she, she works for a company named Mia now. So she's up very early on her meetings. So when I talked to her at the end of the day, she's like, I, I don't want to talk about it. But being in uh, sales for 10 years now, you know, I, I'm always able to bounce questions off my mother and also my colleagues and friends. I have friends outside of work. They're in SAS too. It's just bouncing questions off people and, and, you know, getting those answers. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, my mom does not want to talk about work with me. <laughs> there must've been, well, I got to push you though. There must've been one, like what was, what was the best piece of sales advice your mom ever gave you? You know, I think I'm able to transfer things over from, you know, the things that, you know, she does in running her team that transfer over to me, if that makes sense, like staying organized, 
um, you know, always being ready. If you have to present decks at a meeting, you know, I've always, that's, that's going back to that. That's one thing I've always learned from her. Cause she's always presented. She's, she's on the partner side. She's in alliances. So it's a little bit different than direct, which I'm in, but you know, always being ready for meetings, knowing, knowing your audience and, you know, not being nervous to, you know, as you can see, I'm not nervous to, to be able to talk and, you know, present with you guys for, for an hour. I love it, but you know, just having confidence. Brilliant. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being on the on the show today. And hopefully you get a little recovery time before you go teach other other folks how to sell as well. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with speaking with you guys. And thank you so much for including me. Hey, salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 